Hello and welcome to the People and Flow podcast. This episode is the second in a three-part series in which we talk to David Ulrich about the contemporary world of human resources. Dave Ulrich, a prolific author of 30 books, is ranked as the number one management guru by Business Week. He was profiled by Fast Company as one of the world's top 10 creative people in business. He is a top five coach in Forbes and recognised on Thinkers 50 as one of the world's leading business thinkers. Dave Ulrich has a passion for ideas with impact. He is a professor at the Ross School of Business, University of Michigan. Dave's work focuses on how organisations develop their impact through leveraging human resources. His work on the HR business partner model truly changed the industry. Episode 2, he is Neville Pritchard and Simon Lovegrove in discussion with Dave on the importance of finding purpose and energy in the workplace. The trio chat through the role of technology in building culture and community. It's interesting you were talking about finding meaning. That's one of the things that I think been said by others, but helping other people find purpose and find energy. You know, one of the things I picked out of reading the articles you sent us was just the, uh, the subtext underneath it all was, well, how does HR help a business, help other people understand what good energy is? How do they understand you know, your right culture thing was, was really nicely succinct and, and, and just helped me think, yeah, what this is all about, it's not just about the right culture, it's about the right energy. And then everybody gets the right energy and then all of a sudden you've got measures and, and your move to the external customers, above the line thinking. What would you measure? Well, what's the what's the energy that the external customer is feeling, you know? Mm. Clearly, there are lots of measures around engagement, motivation, and environment, and all of that kind of stuff that can be tracked and measured. But actually, it all points towards energy and productivity. I don't know, am I summarizing your thinking in the right way there, Dave? Absolutely. You. Uh, I wish I was taking this and I could publish it because you say it better than I have. That's probably why my books don't sell. One of the other backgrounds, just to, to get a, a context for me, when I did my PhD, I had the privilege of working with uh, Bill McKelvey, who was a numerical taxonomist, and he was proud that he had written a 400-page book with no examples. I mean, he, was re- he really is today. In fact, today he's working on complex things, making them simple. So in that spirit, I'll respond to Neville, I'm, and I haven't even written this one yet, is I sit and say, what gives people a sense of well-being, if you will. I'm looking now at three things. One is belief. I want to be in an organization that gives me a set of beliefs, a set of values, a set of purposes, and meaning comes from that purpose. And there's a lot written about purpose-driven organization. Two two is a sense of becoming. And so these are three Bs, belief and become, believe, become. Am I fulfilling my purpose? Am I developing my talents, my skills? Am I stretching myself? Do I have a growth mindset, a learning mindset? And the one I'm probing at, and I got a couple pieces on this, do I have a set of beliefs and does the organization provide it? Do I have a way to become better, to develop my productivity, my gifts, my talents? And third is belonging. I think right now, um, I think there's a dearth of belonging. And I think technology that is supposedly a mechanism to connect us is actually isolating us. And, And some of the research is showing that social isolation is a bigger cause of mortality than smoking fewer than 15 cigarettes a day, hypertension, uh, obesity, or depression. In the UK, they just named a minister of loneliness. Um, And this cuts across all ages. And 
I get really worried that technology that could be creating connection is actually creating isolation. So my answer, Neville, and I love your comments, is do I create places where people can find belief, purpose, meaning around the belief, becoming, developing talents, skills, learning, growth, and then belonging, feeling like they're connected to a community that gives people a sense of connection? Mm-hmm. I think that's great. That belonging addition, for me, it goes beyond engagement, beyond commitment. It says, do I belong here? Does everybody else belong here? Am I part of something that is that is enabling me to become what I want to be? And we all share same beliefs. That model, they, quite quickly, please. Uh, <laughs> it's. Um, I think it's, uh, it's really helpful for people to do that and you're right you know i haven't been able to put it in those words but i've had this nagging worry of disconnection rather than connection with the way social media is being if you like mistreated by some neville i really appreciate that because i'm thinking lately that what social media does is it connects people to a movement we we had in america recently a tragedy that is so horrific that we don't even like to talk about it, about a school shooting and those unfortunately happen far too frequently which is a whole separate issue but what's interesting is there's now a movement of high school kids from across the the broad array of the united states the me too movement is almost a technology connection and i think that level of connection to a movement is not the level of connection to a person I can belong to a movement, but I don't have a sense of personal intimacy. And what I think sometimes happens is we assume those movements, those social connections. I post an article. I said I, I was, I didn't mean to be bragging, but I get I get a lot of views, and I go, oh wow, I'm really cool. Mm. But there's no intimacy there. There's no. no intimacy, and that's the belonging that I think we're missing. I think social media has the capacity to create movements but not really deep and intimate relationships as well. It's a little bit like the face-to-face course. So much of the value in the, you know, of any face-to-face course, any face-to-face gathering, is the ability to find out more about each other. Well, I'd like to ask Simon, you just did a debrief of a virtual team. Yeah. Did, did you also try to do some face-to-face personal stuff with the team to, to help them be successful? So the context is, um, this is a, a tiny team. It's in pharmaceutical, so it's four people, but they're on different continents and different countries within continents. We wanted to do it within a certain time frame, therefore we were going to do it virtually. We looked at the logistics of getting face-to-face. What I did do was to work hard in the preparation and the thinking preparation. So I spoke to everyone beforehand individually, then they did some thinking prep, and then I set up the debrief using Hangout or, or a WebEx, but in the process of doing that to amplify the bandwidth uh, so that people had a greater experience of intimacy, but also to use the process in a more formal and structured way, you know, bearing in mind the lack of, of bandwidth to make sure that they were guided towards and helped to be able to communicate um, in a way that was open and vulnerable, which happily, you know, for the most part they did, but it took that extra sort of formality and that extra thinking because you can't just do it you know um, using sort of normal skills and normal awarenesses wouldn't being able to track everything that's going on I should also say that despite the fact that the reason it was taking place was because of if you quotes an issue that had happened um, they had made somewhat their own recovery from that in terms of building their confidence and trust and sense of having each other's backs was an expression that um, one of them used 
So the answer is, no, I didn't do anything face to face, but yes, I did work to it to amplify the intimacy and to make sure that you know we were in control of how things were being expressed. And it took that extra work in order to do it. And you know, of course, I was quite conscious of that going into it. Picking up on, on Simon's experience there and, and your question, about, uh, and also the challenges that you related earlier around the whole people side of it and, and isolation. Is there something here that says, part of our responsibility if we're working with people is to is to help them with a mindset and maybe there's a mindset shift that needs to happen in order for the a, a greater benefit to be realized what do you think i i would say obviously what do you think you've probably thought about that as much or more no than it me. just came into my head actually um, <laughs> <laughs> One of the mindsets that I think is critical is, and, and I've written about this for a long time, is that value is defined by the receiver. And so I think sometimes in leadership training, we say, be authentic, know yourself. Well, I've proposed, and I've been scared to write this very explicitly, that leadership authenticity without really creating value for someone else is really narcissism. Yeah. And narcissists don't make good leaders. Your job as a leader is to enrich others, to make others better, to, to create belief and belonging and, and becoming for other people. And so I think, no, yeah, that's a mindset. You see shows on American television that I think we imported from Britain. We appreciate your, your great imports, like Survivor, like Apprentice, which are really self-interested shows. I, 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 win, I win and you lose. And um, we, we appreciate that. I think it's a way to corrupt America. But... And, <laughs> But we're very open to them. I mean, and, and, and leadership is an HR. I'll take both of those are not about what we do. It's how what we do helps somebody else do their job better. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I see that as a really key part. The other thing, when you talk about HR, if I take those three things, belief, become and belong, I think in HR, we've done a lot of work with become, which is the individual talent. Mm -hmm. How do we help people get better? How do we find personal direction and meaning and 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 you've alluded to that i think we're moving from satisfaction surveys to commitment surveys to more purpose and meaning surveys but i think the belonging piece is one that's underdeveloped and and if i look at where hr is headed i may be very naive but i have a, a deep respect for the power of an organization a good organization can take individual skills and create great teams i mean mm. People can be champions, but teams win championships. And I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff about that. But I think one of the things that we sometimes lose sight of in HR is that we're not about winning the war for talent. The book we wrote was called Victory Through Organization. How do you, how do you build an organization that can scale and leverage individual strengths into really organizational capabilities? And that's one of the passions I've had for a lot of years. Bringing those together is a is a real challenge. Is there something you think that uh, the people working in this field, whether they be leaders or whether they be uh, working within HR at any level, are there skills or their own mindset perhaps that need to develop in order for that to happen more consistently across more organisations? Oh yeah, I. Uh... Among the three of us, we probably have somewhere near 100 years of collective experience, hopefully not one experience 100 times, but I think we've all seen good and bad HR. And the bad HR gets lamented a lot. You know, the, the paper pushes, I was reading somebody wrote something today, 
uh, HR is an administrative function that doesn't add value. And I think I made a comment, my goodness, I, I haven't worn bell-bottom pants since the 90s. I mean, that's a comment right out of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, come forward 20 years. I, I And I think we've all seen good HR. And good HR folks really have a knack for understanding the business and the impact of what they do for being what we call credible activists. They're trusted, but they have a point of view. They And I love, Simon, your discussion. I mean, you have a point of view about this team. It's not just, let's get together and go climb a rock and fall off a bridge and do a trust fall and we all love each other. No, we have a point of view. We're trying to solve a problem. There, there's yeah. an outcome here. HR does that. We, we navigate and manage change because this world we're living in is so changing. We have a learning mindset. I mean, I think we see that, and I, I think we see good HR folks demonstrating those um, those competencies quite readily. Thank you for listening to episode two in the People and Flow with Dave Ulridge series. If you would like to know more about the topics discussed, click on the links in the description and tune in for episode three. Thank you for listening. <laughs>